and about fatherhood. So as we begin, I want to uh, call your attention to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word as it was given in the originals. This is God's word, and we'll be looking at the, the particular text in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, it is found on page 1,253 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to open that up. Colossians 3 begins in verse 21 there. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. That's our text today. Makes dads feel really good. Bad dad. I want to read this text again. Now that you've heard it once, I'd like you to let it sink in. This is the word of God. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. That is a direct instruction. There's an imperative that, that you can take from this text. But if you will follow me with the other texts that are printed for you, I just want to walk through a few of these other ones. Uh, we're going to next look at Genesis 22:16. Genesis 22:16. This is the story of a father named Abraham. It's one of the most powerful gospel witnesses in the Old Testament. Genesis 22 is when the father Abraham was asked to offer up his son. This is God's word. And, and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because, Abraham, because you have done this, and you have not withheld your only son, or he says, you have not withheld your son, your only son. And that takes you back to understand the, the love of a father, that Abraham was willing to take the life of his son. Pastor, that doesn't sound like love. If you read the rest of the story with the help of Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to understand why. Abraham loved his son, and he loved God, and he knew that God had promised that through that boy, he was going to bless the nations of this world. He believed that God would raise his son from the dead. Now, does that sound a little bit familiar? God the Father sent his only begotten son, and instead of having a substitute for that son Isaac, God the Father did not have a substitute. Jesus died. And if you go back to Genesis 22, the very location where Isaac was going to be offered up was within feet of Calvary's cross. Same mountain, Mount Moriah. And that's why Jehovah Jireh, which is what, what the Abraham was told to call God, my God is a provider, that he would provide the true Lamb of God who would one day die for mankind. Now, if you look at the next verse here in Hebrews chapter 12, this is the New Testament after we've seen the hall of faith that I just alluded to. Now he says in chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 5, and, and have for you forgotten, he says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And then he quotes it, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by the Lord. Verse 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure, for God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not correct or discipline? 
If you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and you are not a son. Besides, verse 9, without, he says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we actually respected them. Notice the word earthly or biological fathers. He says, and they have disciplined us and we actually had respect for them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, that is God the Father, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, he says, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees." That's Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I want to also take you to another passage back in the Old Testament, chapter 20. Those of, those of you that know that this was one of my favorite verses that I taught my kids from the Old Testament. Uh, and it goes like this. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and to the fourth generations of those who hate me. But I'll show steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then right after that, it says, children, obey your parents. Honor your mom and dad. But did you notice what preceded that? Let me just echo that one more time for you. If you bow down and serve other gods, the Lord is jealous, and he's going to visit the iniquity of the dad who does this to his children and to his grandchildren and the effects will even be felt by the great-grandchildren. Sins have consequences. Now, if I want to take you to Malachi chapter 4, I'm sure you guys know this text. Everybody even, I mean, can you even find Malachi? Uh, you can probably find it by finding the book of Matthew and back up a few pages. It's the last book of the Old Testament. It's one of the small prophetic books. In chapter 4, it's very interesting here. There's a hopeful message. He says, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. It's really hard not to preach the whole text here. But you have this promise from one of God's spokesmen. By the way, nobody liked the prophets. There's going to be 400 years of silence. He's not going to have any prophets for 400 years until John the baptizer shows up. You know, it's, it's really interesting, this quietness. It's almost like if you had a, a father who just gave you the silent treatment for 400 years. One of the last things that were said, that there's going to be hope. Somebody's coming. Let me look at it again. This person that's coming will actually turn the hearts of fathers and turn the hearts of the kids towards each other. In James chapter 1, this is an interesting perspective about a father. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, from the Lord of love, from whom there is no variation or shadow of change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of his first fruits. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, I want to just repeat this one. For which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give you a stone? 
This is Jesus speaking to the crowd, and he's using a fatherly illustration. He said, if you're a dad and your son asks for some food, he says, how many of you will give him a stone instead of bread? You all know the answer. Although maybe in 2021, they might give him a stone. Uh, but anyway, he says, verse 10, or if, you're, if, the father, or if the child asks for a fish, will the dad give him a snake? If you then, who are evil or who are secular, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask in prayer? Let us pray. Our heavenly Father, I pray that you'll take the reading of the word and especially the preaching of the word and make it an effectual means of salvation in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you will teach us things that we might not have known even though we're familiar with some of these things. I pray that you might strengthen our feeble knees, as the book of Hebrews says, that we might be fortified to carry on. Lord, may you discipline us today, because if we're your children, you will guide us and instruct us. Lord, I pray that we'll learn from the message that you gave to the Colossae Church, especially to the dads, about the way things should be. In Jesus' name I pray. There was a quote that my dad, who was a preacher for all those years, used to say every Mother's Day, and I always thought it was because mom had eight children, and, uh, but he used to say, a mother is like no other. And as I say those words, I can just hear the way he would utter that. He was trying to show how special he thought of my mom. You know, my mom's still here. She's 89 years old, and uh, she always used to smile when dad would say, a mother is like no other. But today's sermon title includes that, but has a little more. If you see it on the, on the bulletin card, a mother is like uh, no other, but a father is like another. He's like our heavenly father. That's one of the texts I want to ex explain that. That's why the title is, is before us. A mother is like no other, but a father is like another. He should be like our heavenly father. Now, I want you to know that our Lord was not afraid of this concept of fatherhood. Uh, it's kind of interesting that the term father today is not very popular. In fact, uh, if you're taking notes, sadly, fatherhood is not woke within our postmodern culture. Now, some of you don't even know what that means. Some of you are like, Pastor, why are you using secular terminology? Okay, because that's where a lot of people are. When they say woke, it means you haven't awakened to the new reality. That fatherhood is out. Motherhood is out. Parenting is out. We've replaced it. Who's in charge now? Now, back in the day when I was growing up, I remember that TV show when we only had three channels. You know, all, you remember those days. Maybe you had four if you had UHF. Okay, but I remember the, you know, the one show that used to come on with Edith and Archie Bunker. <laughs> you know, and you have that son-in-law meathead, and, and I mean, boy, it's hard to believe that we used to think that that was entertainment. But you, you did have a role model that was set. You always knew what Archie stood for. And Edith would be so frustrated with him all the time because he would say things that she didn't like to say or didn't like to hear and all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of interesting. If you look around today, you can't even find a strong father figure on a TV show. 
you have to look and look and look. They usually don't have a dominant dad anymore. There's no more my three sons. There's no more the little house on the prairie with Michael Landon. There's no more Big Valley or there's no more uh, gun smoke. You don't find these great, strong, fatherly figures anymore because it's not woke. The writers and the directors are not including a lot of these things. And you know what? There's less and less fatherhood taking place in our culture. The statistics in America have been reduced now that we're not reproducing our population. In America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, I think it's down to 1.79. Kids are reproduced for every two parents, or for two adults. That's why I think they're trying to open up the borders. There's only a few cultures that are actually into reproduction these days. If you actually, and you heard me already mention about this, we don't want the babies to die. We don't want people to terminate life. That's part of the reason why you have millions and millions of little children that were never born. And hence the population comes down. You have moms that don't want to be moms and you have dads that definitely don't want to be dads. They don't even want to be identified as dads. They exit stage right faster than Scooby-Doo does when a monster's there. Within the modern zeitgeist, fatherhood is seen as a means of holding people back rather than equipping them for life. Patriarchy is seen as evil. If you're stuck in a patriarchal system, that means that the dad is in charge. And oh no, that means women have to be subjugated. That means children have to be subjugated. Oh no, that's where those, have, those supremacy guys are. It's really sad that that thought is even come out of anybody's lips because everybody that you know has a dad. But so many dads, I think especially since World War II, have abandoned ship. They don't have the strength of character that they used to have, certainly not seen in our culture. God has something to say about fatherhood. Fatherhood is valued. He does not want dads to be MIA even though they're missing in so many institutions. Even when you look at the church putting on a Bible school, guess how many men will be here? Maybe you could give me an estimate. Do you think we'll have 50-50 men with ladies? Do you think we'll have any men here? I'll be here. Thank you. That's, I, I forgot about that. At least, at least we have a percentage. Now, there's several of you guys that, that know what I mean. But it's interesting how so many children are being reared by and, and never seeing a man give instruction. You know, not even principals anymore. The ones that are running the schools, are, there, there's hardly any guys anywhere. It's pretty, pretty sad. Where is, I think fatherhood has, is one of the reasons that the erosion of seeing a strong leader in the home is causing the erosion of seeing strong leaders in other places. I, I do remind you that there's no, there's no fatherhood without a child and there's no child without a father. These things all have to work together. You can ask any doctor, any scientist, any historian. You can ask anyone. And Genesis 2.24 is still there. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And that's how it happens. How it's supposed to happen. You know, the little poem, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the child and the baby carriage. This was, this was normal. 
And when people try to come up with alternative plans, it's what Proverbs said, Solomon told us, that it leads to devastation, destruction. It leads to death. And sometimes the deception is even worse than the death. That people think that they're doing the right thing by doing that which God condemns. God tells his people fatherhood is good. God places dad in authority. He is to be obeyed. He is also with mom by his, by, her, by his side, utilizing parental authority. Yes, I can say that even from the pulpit in 2021. Parents, you're in charge. I can see that because in Colossians 3, it says, children, listen to your dad. And by implication, listen to your dad and your mom. God tells dads, though, he comes up that they are to use that authority that they've been given to use it wisely, uh, just like the Heavenly Father has done. So as we recognize, as we look at this text, I got three short points. Uh, The first one is that God, the Heavenly Father, recognizes the authority of the earthly father. We're going to see that in our short verse. Secondly, we're going to end up seeing that God, the Heavenly Father, restricts the authority of the earthly dad. Now, some kids really like that. Dad does not have all authority. Okay? Uh, The third thing that we'll see in this text is that God the Heavenly Father renews the authority of the earthly father. You know, he redeems it. He brings some color and clarity to it. Let me quickly walk you through this. Uh, The first point I want you to see is that in chapter 3, verse uh, 21, we've just come through verse 20, which says, Children, obey your parents in... Thing, for this pleases Kurios, this pleases God, okay, this pleases the Lord. And then verse 21, in light of the children listening to dad, then he looks to the dads and he says, fathers, okay, I want you to know there's no confusion here. These guys are not wondering which gender they are. They are not just sitting there saying, well, let me check my phone. Uh, let me go uh, see what, you know, it, it's, it's not, there's no confusion that when you look here, you can clearly see that God, the heavenly father, recognizes earthly fathers. The word pater, which is kind of the root word for papa, you know, it all has to do with the man that's a part of the family unit. And when you look at it here, he's clearly saying, hey, you've got kids. Made me sound like that thing, you've got male. You've got kids. Okay, if you've got kids, I'm talking to you. This is God above is saying this to people who have been given the stewardship of children that God knows you. All of you men that stood here today, God's speaking to you. These words are not for your spouse. They're not for your children. They're for you. And when you realize this is direct address, this is exactly what he said to the, to the dads that were in Colossae, and he says it in Ephesians chapter 6 as well. If you bring that verse up, you're going to be able to see in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 4, it's an echoing text, which is uh, uh, fathers. It almost looks the same, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, he says, fathers are supposed to not provoke your children Okay, uh, you're not supposed to provoke them to anger. Okay, and I think if I have that one there, yeah, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, when you look at that particular verse, it's very, very similar to the verse in Colossae, I mean Colossians. Okay, Paul was in prison. He has been, he has been put in prison because he's representing Jesus. 
Okay, and when in prison, some of the ministers that are in Colossae and Ephesus are sending him messages. And part of the struggle is, is that the dads in these church communities, they're struggling. The dads, they're difficult. It's just not so easy for dads. It wasn't easy for them then, and let me tell you, it's not easy now. The dads were having some difficulty with the kids. The kids were not doing well in church. The church community was, was wrestling with stuff. And so when the, when the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, addresses these dads, he nails them straight up and he, and he did it not only in one church but in another, which is to imply that it's true even in our church. Dads, if you've got children, pay attention. God recognizes that you have a place in your family. You are not allowed to be MIA. You're not allowed to be invisible. You're not supposed to put a zipper on the lip and never say anything either. You're not supposed to be like, <clears throat> have you ever heard this? Children are supposed to be seen but not heard. Well, that's what dads, dads, you need to at least be seen and you need to be heard. But you should have something to say. I find today that, that the beatdown on men has caused many men just to not say anything. It's caused many men to not even want to be around some of the people that beat them down. And so they huddle together. Sometimes they'll even fly rainbow flags. They're seeking some kind of refuge. Fathers in this particular thing are called out and God is telling these men to listen. Listen to what the heavenly father has to say. And he says, uh, everyone who is not a father is still supposed to see this. This is written to the Christian community. And so if you're not a dad, but you're a mom or you're a wife or you're a child or you're a friend or you're sitting next to a friend. Hey, everybody, this is the way God designed it. He says, fathers are important. And in the verse before, he said, they have a role to play because there's these little things called children that are not supposed to be running around on their own doing whatever they want to do. What are children supposed to be doing? Look at verse 20, if you will. I can tell you what children ought to be doing. They ought to be going to church and meeting with God. Why would a kid ever go to church? I got some kids here. If I had them stand up and I took a microphone too, I'm looking at you right there. If I asked you why you're here today, you know, is it because you want to be here? Careful on your answer. Somebody's watching. <laughs> He's nodding his head. Yes, he wants to be here. But somebody made a decision for those children to be here. And that's why dads are important. Because if children are not here and they're just going around doing whatever they want to do, wherever they want to do it, to go sow their wild oats or whatever it is that they're going to do on, a, on the Lord's Day, it's probably because they didn't have a good dad to show them to come and meet their heavenly dad. It is right and it is pleasing to the Trinity for children to listen to dad. He just said that. And he, and he wants fathers. Fathers, I know your plot. I know the plan. I know the system. You're supposed to be the patriarch of your home. I can read quite a few passages to be able to show that. Now, having established and get their attention that God the Father has recognized the authority of of earthly dads. Now, secondly, God the Father restricts that authority. 
This is something that I said that when I was looking at it from a kid's standpoint, and uh, I was just doing it with my son last night, the one that's still home that's sitting over there. And he's texted me. He said, what time can I come home? I, I, was, uh, I was just doing this text, and I'm saying, I got to answer back. You know, my son is trying to stretch the curfew. He's got a big smile on his face. But he knows that the curfew is not there as a legal thing. It's there as a loving thing. And so when he ends up saying, hey, dad, I'm going to be a little bit later, he actually was showing respect for dad by saying, this is what I need to do. And of course, I gave him a thumbs up. And then I gave him a couple of emojis. They were some good ones. Made him think twice. That if he didn't get home by the strike of the clock that was on the thing, that he might turn into a pumpkin or something. You know, it was like one of those kind of things. But you know, this is the point. There are limits to what we can do. Many of you are struggling. That, that What can you even tell your children to do? The culture is telling you you can't tell them anything. You can't even tell them to be chaste. You can't even be telling your daughters to be pure and modest. You can't tell your sons not to sow their wild oats because the state will come in and tell you you're abusive. Right now in Delaware, if you try to counsel your own children to stay the biological sex that, that they were born with, you are a bad parent. If you were a counselor, they'd threaten to take your license away. In Delaware, 2021. Who's in charge of the children? Who are children supposed to listen to? If you listen, the, there's so many other voices. And that's part of the reason why the book don't listen to those worldly secular voices, the, the devil, the, the, the flesh. Uh, those are other voices that are coming. But God restricts the, the authority. The heavenly father restricts the authority of the earthly dad. Uh, fathers are not free just to do anything uh, or everything, and they're not free to do nothing. There is a negative used here, just like in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. You know, God could have said, thou shalt preserve life. But, but the way that he put it with the negative on there is he's showing you the concept instead of getting you to be legalistic about, oh, you can't do this or you can't do this or you can't do this. No, when he says don't kill or don't commit murder, then that means that covers everything that is not committing murder there's freedom for. So when he puts this in the negative and he says don't provoke your children, then he's saying there's a lot of things you can do. But there's one thing you don't do. Okay? It's very, very interesting how uh, it, it's not about a legalism. And therefore, you, 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 most dads don't... How many dads follow Col Colossians 3.21? Is that your favorite verse? I know uh, if you go back a couple verses, I know some of the ladies like that one where it says, husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. That might be one of your favorites. But this verse is kind of tough for dads. Why are there limits? Or what, what, are, what are the limits? The, 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 uh, the limit that is put on there, of all the things God could have said, he says, you have children, don't provoke them. That's what he said is very dangerous. You can use your authority wrongly and it will provoke the children. Now, what are the limits? Um, he says, why, excuse me, why are there limits? And it's because damage can be done. Dads have a special place you know, I can see it with my family with eight kids in it. Uh, I have four sisters and three brothers. And I can see that when my dad used to say something, how, in, how it impacted the girls, how it impacted the boys differently. 
It's a lot of things that go on. But you know, even when I get to do weddings and you have the, the bride coming down the aisle, uh, who's usually by her side? There's a few dads that smile real happy. Here, take her. <laughs> but most dads, it's hard. It's hard to pass that responsibility on to somebody that you might not have great confidence in. Now, there are limits, and the reason why the damage can be done is because the Scripture says that discouragement could happen and anger can happen. So if you're following along, the reason why I can say discouragement is the text tells us, if you provoke your children, they'll be discouraged. What happens when you feel discouraged? You give up. You don't carry on. You don't finish the race that's set before you. You don't follow through. You, ha you have this sense, well, it doesn't matter. I've heard a couple of uh, parents tell me recently that their children don't want to, to be Christians because they don't want to be like one of their parents. That's heartbreaking. They get discouraged. I don't want to go through that. I don't want the scar tissues of church. I don't want people judging me. I don't want to be told that I can't do what I want to do, that I can't have sex when I want to have sex, that I don't have to be married, I don't have to do this. I don't want that. And so they think they're not going to be discouraged by just branching off on their own and not listening to the law of their father or mother, Proverbs 1, 7, and 8. Anger is the other one. According to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. So not only discouragement where they give up and they do something else, but anger is when they get so fuming that they almost turn into volcanoes. The stuff that comes out of their mouth is like lava and it'll sear through your soul. They use words that should never come off of anybody's lips. But they can hurt you even worse by canceling you by never picking up the phone when you call, never coming home to visit again, never giving you the time of day. Today's Father's Day. I've been carrying around my card. It says, Dad Decker. <laughs> Haven't opened it yet. I'm just loving the fact that some of my kids call me Dad, even when they're 25. A tribute, it's meaningful. Now, I told you this is not a long sermon, so what are the benefits of the limits? God didn't put the limits on just to put a fence around so that dads say, oh, you can only do this and no, nothing more. No, what he ends up putting these limits on is because according to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, he says so that he can train and instruct and discipline. Uh, it's like when you're working with your children when they're little, you teach them to color within the lines. It's when you like uh, teaching a driver to stay on the right side of the road when they start to know that you shift gears and you hit that gas pedal or if you're teaching them clutch, you know, to make sure that you put the clutch in at the same time you're, you know, you do that same kind of routine. I don't know if any of you know manual stick driving anymore. It's fun teaching all my kids how to do it. And then they didn't like my truck anymore, so they didn't care. <laughs> There's a benefit. The goal is not to have your kids under your thumb. The goal is to train your kids in the way they should go. Proverbs 22.6 says it so very well. Train up your children in the way they should go so that when they're matured, they will, they will not forget it. It's, it's not a promise, it's a proverb. 
And that's why it echoes in 1 Corinthians 13 where he says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. Basically, I was a kid. But when I became a man, those childish things were left behind and I embraced the things that were true. I became like my dad if he was like his heavenly father. Now, I told you there's three points. First, the heavenly father recognizes the authority of the earthly father. Secondly, the heavenly father restricts the authority of the earthly father in this text. And thirdly, the heavenly father renews the authority of the earthly father. And when you look there, it's like, yeah, I told you, God doesn't want dads to be MIA. You're supposed to engage the battle. Men, if you don't lead, then nobody's going to follow. If you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. Now, I want to be able to show how this happened. Paul's awareness of the Father in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. Now, this is kind of interesting because I'm in chapter 3, verse 21, where he says, Fathers, don't provoke your kids to, to discouragement and to anger. But he implies there from the other text, he says, but instruct them. Now, I want you to see how this is all renewed. Because if you're reading the whole book of Colossians from the beginning, in chapter 1, verse 2, he already mentions the Father. To the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. You're going to be able to say that over and over again because you're going to see it. God our Father. This is how he starts the book. He's writing the letter to these Christians and he says, hey, we have a heavenly Father. And notice what he's, he's a doer. He's a provider of grace and he's a provider of peace. Now, this grace is exactly what I quoted from James chapter 1, the first book in the New Testament where, where we already read where every good and perfect gift comes from the government. Oh, did I get that wrong? Wasn't it the Biden administration that just gave you everything? No, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father above. That's why he ends up saying in Colossians 3, seek those things that are above where Christ is, where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we actually see the relationship of the Trinity. Hey, is, is it bad to be a father if God is the Father of Jesus? It's an easy answer. No, it's not bad at all. No matter what the postmodern culture tells you, fatherhood is beautiful. It's seen within the eternal trinity. God the Father will always be known as the Father. And God the Son will always be known as the Son. It's pretty fascinating. Colossians 1.12. And that's why the apostle is writing to the church there in Colossians. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I'm telling you, that's so beautiful. So beautiful. I want to speed this up and tell you that the Heavenly Father is definitely the doer. He does three things. And because he does these things, the only response you can have is thank you, thank you, thank you. How many of you are thankful your dad today? Most of you aren't as thankful because you probably remember all the bad things he didn't do for you. My kids will probably never forgive me for not paying all their debts. But I told them that they're their, they're their debts, not mine. When you understand this passage the three things he does it's really interesting he initiates a work if you look at, at chapter um, chapter uh, verse 9 and from the day we heard of it he said we don't cease to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the lord in other words i want you to be mature 
And then when he gets down here to verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints, that giving thanks to the Father who has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and giving thanks to the Father who has transferred us from the kingdom uh, to the kingdom of his beloved Son, and inside that kingdom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. The Father is the one that's initiated all of this stuff. He's the one that elected, and he was the one that pulled you out from the darkness. He was the one that put you into the, into the position of light. He's the one that regenerates. And then when you look next, he transfers you into the kingdom. Basically, that's the language for adopting you. He's taken you from being an outsider, and he's brought you inside to be united with Christ, which is what the whole theme of Colossians is, being united to Christ. When Christ is the son of the father and we're united to Christ, then our relationship with God is also father. And that's why we are taught to pray in accord. Now, I told you that, that the, the, this is all renewed. In chapter 3, there is another verse besides the one in verse 20. Chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. That was the precipitating passage for, for what we get here in verse 21. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. See, right before he gets into all seven or eight of these relationships, he says, hey, the Father is knowing all of these things. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do, whatever you're going to be doing in your family, he says, this, the word of Christ dwells in you because you're united to Christ. He's your Father. And I mean, God the Father is your Father. And when you realize all this stuff, then in verse 17, the heavenly Father is to be praised because he is the authorizer of this plan. He's to be praised. And then in verse uh, 21, the heavenly father is the pattern for our fatherly authority. So those of you dads, what are you supposed to do? Mimic your heavenly father. A mother is like no other, but a father is like another, like our heavenly father above. It's beautiful. Fathers are designed to have influence. Fathers are called to encourage. Fathers' activities may cause friction. Fathers can inflame anger, and they're warned not to do that. They are not to be abusive parents, okay? Fathers have limits. They're not supposed to be the father of every child. If you look at the text, he says, fathers, you're supposed to don't provoke your own children. Some of you might misinterpret that and say you can provoke every other buddy's, everybody else's children. But what he's trying to say is the ones you have authority over don't mishandle it. Fathers never lose their role as teacher. They're always providing instruction, for they have been called by God in Proverbs 22 to do that. Now, as I wrap up, the text here is an interesting text. This is not the equation of salvation. The equation of salvation is grace plus nothing. So, pastor, why are you telling dads to do better? The reason I'm telling you to do better is because it's not about the salvation of justification. In other words, we've already been united to Christ. We've already had our sins forgiven. The Father has already translated us into, from the darkness into the light. He's already given us redemption through Christ and the forgiveness of sins. You see, all that's done. Now he says, since you're united to Christ, set your affection on things above. Put off the old ways that the world does and put on the beautiful things that are true for those that are in Christ. 
Love being the eminent, preeminent one. So in Christ, it changes all the brokenness. And that's why he says, whatever you do in whatever relationships you are in, he says, wives can now submit in Christ. Husbands are now not to be harsh in Christ. Children are to be able to listen because they're in Christ. Dads are supposed to encourage godliness because they're in Christ. Bosses care about their people because they are in Christ. Employees work hard because it's good, because Christ is at work in them. And churched people can care about others who are outside the church still hellbound. Those are the things that change because of in Christ. But I wrap up with this thought from Malachi chapter 4. In Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Malachi. The Old Testament hope that there was going to be someone who would come turn the hearts of the children towards their dads. Is that how it starts? Can you put the Malachi verse up? What's first? Whose hearts need to be changed first? The Father's have the hard hearts. The fathers are so fed up with rebellious children. The fathers are so ticked off that it's so hard. The kids don't listen. The kids do whatever they want to do. I think there's a song. And the cats and the cradles and the silver spoon and little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. And the theme of that song is my boy was just like me. Dads, you will never save your children. You can pay all their bills and you'll never save your children. You can take them to church every week. You get my applause. But you'll never save your children. You can send them to their room. You can sit them on timeout. You can spank them until they have a wart or whatever they get. You can do any of those things for discipline and you cannot save your children. You don't have the power. Only the Heavenly Father has the power to make your child his child. God does not have any grandchildren. Dads, don't provoke your kids. I'd like dads to be a part of our wow ministry here, the welcoming of worship. It is so hard to find a man who will leave church and try to work with the kids to want to love and meet with God. It seems like only the ladies have those big hearts. Why is it? When I know that the authority of a father doesn't get erased you can be old with gray hair or you can be old with no hair and you will have that authority that the kid looks up to and they'll see whether you care and love God or whether you don't, whether you're coming to church because your wife is making you or whether you want to come to spend time with your father who is in heaven. Malachi was living in a tough time. The family unit was, was in disarray. It was a mess. The dads didn't care anymore. The kids didn't care anymore. The kids looked at their dads and they said, you guys are losers. I think that's what the kids often say today, especially when it comes to electronics, right? Dads don't know nothing. What I'm trying to say is this. There was this promise that there can be a restoration of the way the family should be, where children love their dads 
and dads love their children. And this is not an aberration, but a normal thing. Where sin doesn't permeate it to such a degree that it's war. How many of you experience war at Thanksgiving and at Christmas and at Easter? How many of you have almost given up on the idea that your family will actually get together? You're probably just satisfied if they'll at least send you a card with a signature. My point that I'm getting at is that the Pope in the Old Testament, there was going to come a one who is going to be able to change hearts and to restore. John the baptizer came to prepare the way for that guy. Jesus was that guy. He left his throne on high, his kingly crown, his place at the right hand of the Father, to humble himself to live this, this earthly life, to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to have all these ungodly type characters. He even had some guy named Joseph be his dad. I think Joseph probably did a pretty good job. But undergoing the miseries of this life, why did he do that? So that he might be united to you, that he who knew no sin could take your sin on him so that we might become the children of God, that we might be made the righteousness of God. You've been super patient. This wasn't supposed to be a long sermon. It's Father's Day. I'll tell you this. Every one of us need to go to our Heavenly Father today and commune. There's no better place to be. You may think that you need to make sure you get that dinner with your kids or that you get, make sure you pick up the phone call when they call you once a year. But you don't neglect the assembling of yourself with your father and know who he is and worship him. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Wouldn't it be great if all your kids knew your heavenly father as their heavenly father? That's why we take it to the beach. That's why we fill the bus to send it to the Dominican. That's why we're partnering with missionaries. That's why we're sending these coins and checks because there's moms and dads who have a potential to have that loving relationship. Right now, some of these people may be confused. They've been listening to the wrong books. They haven't read. They haven't been listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And they've been deceived. But you haven't. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that the hope that we have is that God the Father is not just somebody that we know about, but he's our Father. Lord, you taught us to pray by beginning that our Father, my Father. Lord, I pray that as the Father speaks that we will be attentive. I pray that we would mimic children obedient to your Father. Oh, Lord, that's the pattern that sets for our earthly children to follow us because we're following you. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will bless the family unit, that you will help us to realize that in Christ, because of what Jesus has done, everything's been changed. And forgiveness is in order, even for those dads who didn't live up to the challenge, to those dads who have provoked their kids to discouragement and anger. Lord, I thank you that forgiveness restores the heart of the father to their child and the child to their dad. In Jesus' name I give thanks.